the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have to give younger me and my brothers credit. We were dedicated and we were creative. We split our time into two-minute segments. And for those two minutes, we would give it our all. We would pedal as hard as we could. And by the end of those two minutes, we were exhausted. We had nothing left to give. And that was when we would swap out seats so a fresh person would take our place and continue the pedaling. We engineered a very efficient system. And you see, it had to be efficient because we were stuck on a paddle boat in a lake in Minnesota. We were fighting against the wind and the waves, and all we wanted to do was get back to our cabin. And little by little, we saw ourselves gaining ground, inch by inch, with respect to the adjacent shoreline. Our hopes would be up, and yet, at the end of those two minutes, the 10 or 15 seconds it took for us to swap seats, we lost all of the ground that we had gained, and then some. Our hopes were dashed. I cannot help but sympathize with the disciples in our reading for today who were battling the wind and the waves. I cannot help but imagine in vivid details the trials that they must have been going through. Perhaps you also have a story of your own and you can relate to the disciples. And yet, even if you don't have that own experience, all of us can envision in vivid details the trials that the disciples went through when we read our passage from Matthew for today. You see, we're told that just before this, the disciples were on land and they were feasting. That Jesus had just miraculously fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And it's here with the disciples on full bellies that we begin our reading for today. With verse 22, it says, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Having left at Jesus' commands, the disciples began to journey across the sea. They journeyed past the evening, through the night and into the early morning. And just imagine what the disciples must have been like, what state they were in by the time the fourth watch of the night came, that is around 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. It was well past their bedtime. They were far from shore and were told that the boat was being beaten, literally tormented or tested by the waves, and they were traveling against the wind. They must have been exhausted, dispirited, 
scared for their lives, wondering if at any moment the boat that was underneath them would break apart and they would plummet into the sea. No, it's not hard for us to imagine what the disciples must have been going like, going through, perhaps even a little worse than what my brothers and I had in that little lake in Minnesota. And yet, we can all imagine what the disciples must have been going through. Because those trials that they faced, they aren't just the trials of the disciples. Those trials are the trials of the church. They're the trials that you and I face today. Perhaps you've heard it said before that a church is often likened to a fishing boat. Christians, aware of this parallel, have often chosen to model their own church buildings after, after ships. Faith Lutheran here is an excellent example of this. All we have to do is look upwards, and we see these wooden beams and these arches which resemble the contours of an upside-down hull of a ship. We, the church, are in a fishing boat. And if we, are, we the church, are the boat, outside of us is the vast sea of everything that opposes us. Matthew, when he gives us this account of the disciples being tormented by these waves, he isn't giving an account just that was just true for the disciples then, but it is an ongoing reality that you and I face today. We are the ones who are far from land. We are the ones who are exhausted, having rowed throughout the evening and into the early morning. And we are the ones being beaten by the waves and rowing against the wind. We are in the disciples' position, and we know what it feels like for that wave to crash against the hull of the church. It may come for no other reason than simply following Christ's commands, just as the disciples got themselves into their situation by following Jesus' own words to go across the sea. And so those waves, they crash into us when we live and teach biblical truths. This may be found in issues such as standing up for the right for life for unborn babies or um, protecting and guiding marriage as a gift given to a man and a woman, protecting our biological makeups that God has given to us. All of this, the church is being under attack, receiving persecutions. And so we feel the persecution of that wave when it batters up against the ship. And yet, those waves may also strike close to home for each one of us, can't they? Perhaps you have had and experienced a loved one, a family member or a close friend who has disowned you and wants nothing to do 
with the church, wants nothing to do with Christ. When this happens, we can feel a lot like the disciples, can't we? We may feel exhausted. Our spirits may be low. And we may begin to doubt like the disciples. You see the Satan in all of this attacks and the ferocious waves, he wants each of us to lose our faith. We know what it feels like for the disciples. We understand their trials and can picture them in vivid details because those trials are our trials. They are the trials of the church. And yet, like the disciples, we really have no need to fear, do we? I'd like to uh, highlight some of Jesus's own words in our reading for today, and I ask that you would take out your Bible in front of you. All you need uh, is your Bible and your two fingers, which I'll get to in just a little bit. You can turn to Matthew chapter 14. It's found on page 1042 if you're using the Bible in the pews. Matthew chapter 14. This passage is very beautiful for a lot of reasons. And one of the uh, things that make it particularly beautiful in my eyes is its structure. And so to demonstrate this, I ask that you would take your first finger and place it on verse 24. And take your second finger and place it on verse 32. 24 and 32. Here we have a parallel found in our passage for this morning. So in verse 24, we're told of the storm. We're given details that the boat by this time was a long way from land. It was being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And so here at the beginning of the, story, of the passage, we have another parallel, a description of this storm at the end of the passage, which is found in verse 32. And in some ways, it's a resolution to that first description. For we're told that the wind ceased. Here we have a parallel and yet a resolution. And the thing that I want to point out is, take, notice how far apart your fingers are from each other. This is one parallel, and this passage has multiple parallels in it. And they start working from the ends, and they start working their way inwards into the parallel. So notice how far apart your fingers are now. And now, move your first finger from 24 to 25, and your second finger from 32 to 29. You can tell that your fingers at this point should be closer together, and yet we found another parallel. And, and so here we're told uh, to begin with in verse 25 that Jesus was the one walking on the sea. So also our parallel and resolution found at the end of this passage is that not only Jesus is walking on the sea, but Peter also walked on the water and came to Jesus. It's a beautiful construction 
found in this passage. And you as curious Christians are all asking the question, what is at the center? Because you know that at the center is the climax. It's the pivot point. It's the cause for all of the resolutions of the parallels that came before it. And our center here is found in verse 27. It's found at Christ's own words. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. You can see one last parallel in that phrase, can't you? Take heart, do not be afraid. That beautiful resemblance then shifts our focus to what's at the center. The small phrase, it is I. This passage is what's called a theophany. It's Jesus showing and revealing his own identity to us. For you see, when he says, it is I, he is telling us that he is the God of the Old Testament. He is the God that, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. For it is I, in the Greek, is better translated as I am. Jesus is the great I am. And this whole passage is hinting towards and nudging us to this realization. For you see, who else could calm a storm? As Job says, who else can walk on water? Who else can quiet fears other than God? And so in the midst of that storm that we face as a church, in the midst of those waves crashing into us, when you ask the question, if, how can you stand if you feel overwhelmed by the waves and the persecutions of the church? Do not fear. Jesus is God. When you struggle with doubt, when you have lost hope, and when you feel under those persecutions or the disownment of family members that the boards underneath your feet are about to give way and you wonder how you can possibly stay afloat, fear not, Jesus is God. Don't let the devil trick you for one minute into believing that your problems are too big for anyone to handle. The same God who delivered the Israelites is mighty enough to deliver you. And he doesn't just save from a distance, does he? No, instead, he comes to each of us. Just as he came to the disciples in the boat, it is his very presence that assures us that we have no reason to fear. By the way, if you still have your fingers on the Bible, you can take it off at this time. It is Christ's own presence that we have no reason to fear. For just as he came down from the mountains, just as he crossed the tormenting waves to that boat, just as he reached his arm out to save doubting Peter, and just as he calmed the storm, so also Jesus comes to each one of us 
with an outstretched arm to save us. He came down from heaven when he took on the form of man. He crossed those tormenting waves when he overcame Satan in the wilderness. And he stretched out his arms on the cross to save each one of you. Sinners who doubt, just like Peter. And it's with that victory on the cross that he has now hushed the sea. All those opposing forces outside of the church, sin, death, the devil, he has overcome. And those waves are no real threat to us anymore. We do not fear because Jesus is with us in the boat to save us. And he continues to be where he promises he will be in the church. He is here with you and me right now today. Well, it's true, you may not see Jesus miraculously feeding over 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. When you come up to the altar and receive the Lord's Supper, you receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and each of you are sent away satisfied. So also, those tormenting waves which once threatened us, they have become a life-giving water, which we receive in the form of baptism. And it's when we have been baptized that we have been baptized into the body of Christ. When we look for Christ, all we have to do is look at the sacraments and we see him. For that's where he promises to be. To finish, I'd like to jump back to the story of my brothers and I in that paddle boat. After 40 or so minutes of battling the wind and the waves, we felt quite a bit like the disciples and at times the church. We were exhausted, our spirits were low, and we were scared. And yet, even in that midst, in the midst of all that fear and doubt, we also had someone come and rescue us, a savior, so to say, who is none other than my dad on a jet ski. He towed us to shore with a rope. For me, it's, it's hard not to think of that time out on the lake when I read today's passage. And yet, even if you have your own story in which you can relate, or maybe you don't, all of us can imagine ourselves. We can imagine the trials of the disciples in the text for today, because we are the church. We are the ones facing those trials. And Christ, our Lord, has come to save us. In the name of Jesus, amen.